How are you doing guys? Welcome back to another episode of the NCP Conversation where Biblical Sermons are presented through a TED Talk-like fashion. I'm your host William Connor and today is episode number 12, The Breakdown of You Are Disaster. Now this is my breakdown podcast where we look at the previous sermon and we break it down into its parts to help you understand not how to build a good sermon but a great sermon. It is a way for me to uh, historically understand my thought process as I go from one seven to the next so that I can continue to improve as a preacher. And we are going to jump right into this. So we went through James chapter 1, 13 to 15. I'm going to read that. Then I'm going to give some high level uh, ideas as to how I've been breaking down my sevens. And I am going to go through a new uh, grid that I'm trying out that has been presented to me so that uh, you can have an understanding of where I am going to build my sermons from now and how that is going to hopefully make it much better. So let's jump right into it. I'm going to read the passage and then let that soak for a little while and get into the high level stuff to begin with. So... James chapter 1, 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and him and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So, as I have been developing how to go about creating sermons. I've been using this grid, uh, which is the TED Talk meets Biblical Sermons presentation. And and it's a little bit just of a, of a high level, a short sentence I can say to help you understand, okay, TED Talk, I'm going to learn something new today. It's going to be interesting, and it's going to be high level, and it's going to be good. Because... That is what I think of when I think of a TED Talk. I think of great, wonderful communicators. And I think that the church needs lots of those. I think that we need to continue to improve our communication skills so that we reach wide audiences, large audiences, so that many people can hear the gospel, the good news that Jesus brought to us. And so um, the way I have been trying to do that is using a model that goes through three steps and it's all in the idea of truth. Um, I believe that when you when you see the Bible as authoritative and you read it and you and you try and glean the messages from it, th- that's a little bit of um, foundational spirituality and and it's fundamentalism in 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 the briefest sense in other words that you have a holy book and tells you what to do from there we move to this idea of modernity this to the idea of the scientific age where we had scientific model brought in we had um, hypothesis brought in and you test them and you gain results and then you move forward knowing the truth And so that we are living in this age of modernity 
and post-modernity, we, we go beyond truth uh, in such a way that we identify the biases in our own lives and in other lives, and we begin to bring in more people from different backgrounds to give a greater view of, of the world. Uh, I'm not at post-modernity yet because I believe there is a truth. I believe that gravity is real, um, you know, that men are men, women are women. There is some um, scientific, um, biological, um, just sciences that, that need to stay as they are. And so when I think about um, modernity, I believe that in the view of linguistics, that we can do a play on truth here, the play on modernity, because if truth can be found, then that truth should apply to all people. And, and if that applies to all people at all time, then, then there is this expanding circle of, of truth. I had a coach once tell me, he says, reach up as high as you can to the sky with both your arms. And so you do that and he says, okay, reach a little bit further. And you reach a little bit further and, and you, you stretch, not a lot, but you stretch. And he said, okay, now reach further than that. And, and so he's, the point there that he's making is that when you think you're at your limit, you can go a little bit farther, you can go a little bit farther. And that is kind of how we take the idea of truth. We'll say, okay, there's a truth out there that we have to find. And from that, there's a greater truth that applies to you. And from there, there's a greatest truth that applies to all people. And I've been beginning to call that greatest truth a gospel truth. A truth that responds to who God is, to who Jesus is. Because I believe that if God is Jesus and God is all truth, I believe that Jesus is all truth. And so I believe that if we can find a truth, something that everyone can identify with, I believe that we can stretch that to a greater truth, something that applies particularly to them. And from there, um, that greatest truth, uh, that greater truth leads to the greatest truth and it will eventually lead back to Jesus. Now, the way I've been going about this is I look into the biblical text that we have, and I start there. And I have been trying to figure out where does that, where does that fall? Does that fall in the gospel, greatest truth? Does it fall in truth? Does it fall in greater truth? And I have naturally, right now, put it under the greater truth. So when I start thinking through my sermons and thinking through how am I going to go through my through line, I'm looking at what is the greater truth that the Bible applies to each and every person. Because the Bible is supposed to point us to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Every biblical passage should lead us back to there, whether that's contextually or um, theologically, doctrinally. It, the Bible leads back to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so... I have been saving, in my earlier sermons, saving 
the biblical text for the greatest gospel truth. Um, my wife, bless her heart, was telling me that, no, you need to um, bring in biblical text earlier because you don't want people to think that you are doing a TED Talk and you're adding the Bible onto it. No, the Bible is center, front and center of what we are trying to accomplish. I want people to read the Bible knowing there's a rational Bible, as Dennis Prager would would call it. There's a rational Bible, and from there we can we can we can glean truth from it. And so I want to say what is the Bible saying first off? What is the Bible saying first off? And I say that's the greater truth. So we're starting from the greater truth and from that we pull a more simplistic truth from that and we pull an even deeper truth than that, the gospel, the greatest truth. So here, um, when we read the three verses, let no one say he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot tempt with evil, and he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted in a little way, uh, enticed by his own desires. When desire has given birth to sin, sin, when fully grown, brings forth death. What is this verse trying to say? And so, um, taking all three lines uh, in light of the greater passage of James 1, we find that this verse is trying to tell us that we have a sin nature. We have a nature that is fundamentally broken, broken from ourselves, broken from others, broken from nature, and ultimately broken from God. And so we have a, we have a broken nature, which um, in, in Christian language, we say a sinful nature. And, and the passage also says that there are people saying that God is tempting us, right? And so James says, no, it's not God, it's you. So you are being tempted by your own sin nature, and you're trying to shift the blame onto God. But that's not who God is, and God, is, God is not, does not have a sinful nature where you do. So, three things there, right? You have a sin nature, God does not, and we try and shift the blame to God. So, the, I think the greatest truth here is that um, we are fundamentally broken. Now, I'm, not, I'm going to save that for now because I want to give an outline of how I'm going to go through this next section of breaking down the, the passage. Um, I believe, and I've gotten some feedback on other sermons that I'm creating right now, that there has to be a theme. That you have to know what the Bible is saying in the verses that you're reading. Right? So I have to get really good at knowing what the biblical text says. Okay? And I think that's fair, because you want to read the author as how the author is presenting it, not taking your context and putting that over the lens of the, of the reader, or of the author. Look at what the author says, try and figure out what he is saying under the, uh, in the time and the context he is talking about, glean the truth from that, and then cross a bridge over time to time today. So, if I'm hoping to make that a little bit clearer, try and read the letter from James addressed to his readers. So we are looking over the shoulder of James writing to somebody else, and we're trying to glean the, the, the truth that we can learn for today. 
So there's a theme that we have to understand. What is the centered uh, message that James is trying to get across to us? The second thing that we need to do is we need to figure out theologically, doctrinally, what James is telling us about God and about us. I, I laid those out for us. God does not have a sin nature. He doesn't have a broken nature. He has a, he has a holistic nature. We, as men and women, have a, a broken, sinful nature. And we are, are confused when it comes to that because we believe that there are forces outside of us that lead us to these dark and terrible places, but actually it's just ourselves. So three theological kind of understandings that we need to work through there. And then the final thing that we have to work through is the application. Now that we know what is being said, we on a, on a, on a, on a thematic level, we know what James is trying to teach us on, on a deeper spiritual level, we then have to apply that to our lives. So I'm going to be running through that. So again, um, I'm going to, let's go through the theme using truth, greater truth, greatest gospel truth. And then we will get into the doctrine and we'll get into the application and we'll see how well this sermon did in all three of those areas. So after reading the verse, I, I, am, I can confidently say that the greater truth that the Bible is promoting here is that um, we have a sin nature, God does not, and we try and blame God. So now we have to linguistically make that more simple. So um, we are a disaster, and, and we try and blame that disaster on others, uh, a.k.a. God. <laughs> I, that's a fun way of saying it, right? It's to say, okay, you're a disaster. And, and people might try and read into this and to say, you know, like, well, what is a disaster? Well, it's a hurricane or it's an earthquake or it's a tsunami and there's carnage all around us. And, and yeah, maybe that's taking it a bit too far. But you get my point when I say you. It's a, it's a <laughs> when I was growing up in high school, we would, it was a very common term for us to use to say, you're, you're a disaster, man. Like, you, what's going on? Like, you, you're emotionally a wreck. Um, you, you don't know what you're doing with your actions because you're, you're going down a bad path. You're a disaster. Um, sometimes they definitely knew, right? Sometimes you look at a person and they say, I'm going to get drunk tonight. And you're like, okay, you're not in a good place. <laughs> Sometimes they didn't even know they had gone through a traumatic event and they didn't even know they were going to get drunk. But from an outside perspective, you, you looked and you saw, yeah, you're going to get drunk tonight um, because you're, you're, you're not in a good place. You are a disaster. It's just a phrase we would say to, to signal to somebody, stop, you're going to end up in a place that's not any more fun than you are now. And so... Um, if the greater truth is that we are a disaster and we try and blame others for it, we have to first get people to even take responsibility that yes, they are a disaster. And maybe it's not their fault. Um, there is the idea between being born as such or being um, nurtured, right? Is it, it's a nature of nurture, and that, this is an argument that comes up in, in lots of different circles to say that it's like, well, you might naturally just be a disaster because of how your DNA lined up. 
you know, you're uncoordinated, you have disability, whatever. Um, you might just naturally be a disaster. And some people are, are, are born into these broken homes and, and then by nurture, they just pick up on these terrible things that become, and they become a disaster because they pick up on these terrible habits and rituals. And so we have to say, well, I don't care whether it's your nature or nurture that make you a disaster. There's parts of us that are, that are just naturally disastrous. And, and I'm not going to spend my time trying to convince you well, it's nature or it's nurture. Somehow, you have become a disaster. And, and that's why I went into, you know, there's five ways. It's maybe you're just young. Maybe you're naive. Maybe you're a fool. Maybe you don't know any better. Maybe you do know better, but you're unaware. You're just, you come from a broken home, and you yourself are broken. Maybe there's some disasters. Somebody hurt you. And, and, and because of this skewed view of justice, because justice hasn't been dealt out, or because um, you've been hurt so badly, you try and hold on to... Uh, survival tactics you you know don't trust others so you snatch at food or you make little quips here and there somehow you have become a, a disaster and, and and maybe yeah you're like maybe there's a part of you that naturally revels in um, seeing other people go through disasters so I have to con- first convince you that you are a disaster and some people rail against that saying no 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 people are born good uh, and then other people say well it doesn't matter if you're born good or you're just born and you pick up these natural habits again nature versus nurture um and if you're nurtured properly enough you're born good not a disaster and so i have to take you to i have to get you to this verse without using the verse as its foundation right the bible says you are Lured and enticed by your own desires. And those desires conceive and give birth to sin, and that sin, when fully born, when fully grown, brings forth death. So I have to try and convince you that there is desires within you that lead to sin, wrongful action, and lead to death. And so I have to try and convince you somehow that you have these natures within you. And I think that I have to, I have to somehow make a reasonable case to say, no, everyone at some level is a little bit of a disaster. I think I do that. I think I, I, I do that well enough. I spent a long time with that. Uh, I'm not sure if that's good or bad because I really want people to get the fundamental truth, the simplistic truth to meet me there and say, oh yeah, I can definitely see why that is. Because if I can get them there, I can get them to see that, yeah, they're a disaster. Then I can bring them to that greater truth that is, no, not only are you a disaster, but you try and blame others. And, and this is what the Bible says. You, you blame others, you blame God. But actually, this is your own fault. And there's a process. You have desires that lead to wrongful actions that lead to, ultimately, death. And, and so that is the truth leading to the greater truth. Now, from the greater truth to the gospel truth, there's a little bit of a jump there because um, because I add on a little something there where I say, if it is true, you are a disaster. If it is true that you are a disaster and you're trying to, to blame others for that disaster, um, the part I add on is that you, because you're fundamentally this way, can't fix yourself. You can't fix yourself. 
So you have to rely on somebody else to fix it for you. And so then I say, you know, this is where Jesus came into the world to fix it for you. And that's the greatest gospel message because it is it is God-based, not man-based. It is the idea that God is the hero of the story, not yourself. It is this idea that Christ needed to come to earth. Jesus Christ needed to come to earth to do what he did so that we might be saved from ourselves. And that's a lot to take in. But if I can get you to believe the truth and the greater truth, then, then yes, it is still a leap to the gospel truth, but it's not that big of a leap because I've led you to the water. Right? You can you can bring a horse to water, but the horse has to drink it. The horse has to be thirsty enough to drink it. And we rely on God is to, to reveal truth to people to say, Yeah, you know, like I am a disaster and I can't change that. Um, maybe I'm just a small disaster, but I can't even if it's just a small disaster, I can't change that. So somebody else has to change it for me. And and maybe you still don't believe. Maybe you think, No, I can I can fix this. No, I can use medicine and doctors to help me. Um I understand. Like it's it's a hard truth to accept, and, and, and it's it's almost foolishness, and it's a stumbling block. And it's all these things that, that that stop you from believing who Jesus is. It's my job to make a reasonable enough case to say, no, 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 you are a disaster. And two, you try and blame others for that disaster, but it's truly you. And and three, you need somebody to help you with that. And, and some people, that's a reasonable argument. Say, yeah, so who can help me? I say, well, the answer is Jesus. So the theme is that you are fundamentally broken. I need you to lead you, and I need to lead you from a truth, the greater truth, the gospel truth. Now the the theological doctrines in here, I think, I do a good enough case to help you understand what sin is and what sinful nature is, because your disaster is is a two thousand eighteen. Oh, it's probably a two thousand four way of describing <laughs> um, your your very nature, and. And yeah, there's something lost in translation there, but I think that you, you understand what I'm trying to get at there. You're, you're a disaster. And when I say you're a disaster, and then I go to say God is not that, right? Well, if God is not a disaster, then he's paradise. I didn't say that in my sermon. Maybe, oh man, maybe I should have. But if God is not a disaster, he is perfect. He is, he is paradise. He is everything that we are not. Right? And this is where I use the idea of God being a, a light, where, where you take a light into a dark room and chases away the shadows because shadows are repelled by the light. And that's God's nature to sinful nature. God's nature, when it approaches sin, it must either run from Him or it must be destroyed before Him. Right? And this is the idea of um, of men and women coming to know Jesus. When we encounter God, God looks at us and the the terrible disaster that is within us needs to either run away or needs to be destroyed. Right? And and so yeah, when people hear about Jesus, they, they either run away or they become new creations. It's a term the Bible uses, the idea of new creations, because there's a part of you that was an old creation that had a sinful nature. And Jesus says, he speaks to you and says, no, become new. And, and your heart 
you know, your this idea that your conscious, your your inner being, not not the organ of the heart, but the very um, your very core of who you are, right? There's a divide that happens between the old man and the new man. And I believe that when God spoke to me, and my eyes were open to who Jesus was for the first time, He told me that, yeah, like you need, like you cannot be with me. You still have these things in you, and so. I say, I can't fix myself. You need to fix me. And Jesus says, yeah, sure, I'll fix you. And some people, there's miraculous things that have happened in the world. You know, addictions have, have ceased and, um, and dysfunctions in the body have been healed. There's these really manifested things that have happened in the world that are, are described as miracles. And we say, thank you, God. For others of us, um, sometimes addiction doesn't go away. Sometimes the um, speech impediment isn't healed. Sometimes um, the cancer doesn't go away. And it, it lingers, right? And we say, well, we thought you said you would fix us. And, and the ultimate truth is, you know, yes, but maybe, you know, not fully, right? And we live in the already but not yet. Time, this idea of time being an illusion is something I'm continuing to learn about. But you are one hundred percent saint. You 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 are you have God's nature within you, and yet you might not in the moment right now feel like you have been healed of things. And we believe that yeah, like one day, one day, all all this is going to pass. Our our physical bodies, you know, the things around us, our car, our houses, these things are going to pass. And when we pass away, when we die, we believe that the the immortal, uh, the immortal soul will live on. You are soul. That will live on with, uh, even though your body may die. And that soul, when it reaches heaven, will be trans- it, it is a transformed soul. It's not going to take with you the disaster that is surrounding your heart. And that's a beautiful thing. That is the message of hope we as Christians have for the world. Right? I think that is a beautiful thing that we can say, yeah, God's nature is not like that. Actually, God's nature repels sinful nature. You have sinful nature. You either have to run from God or you have to be transformed before God and God can do that for you. So I think we do a good job at understanding, taking responsibility for your own sinful nature. And that sinful nature is uh, either has to run from God or is made new from God. I don't know if I made that point as clear as it could have. So I really need to make the sinful nature, I think I made sinful nature very clear, but this is what I lacked. I lacked in application. What were you supposed to do with this? Right? I think that it was an easy point for me to make to say, listen, some of you are quite the disaster. Right? I in my life have struggled with depression. And I've had to go to counselors, I've had to go to doctors, I've had to go get medication. And that helped me to, to come back to a level of productivity, to, to just ability to live day to day. And, and if you're struggling, like the easy point is, yes, like for, for sure, God can help you. God is also helping by giving you doctors and 
psychologists and, and, and medicine to help if you feel that it's like, no, I need to rely on God and solely God. God gave us medicine. Go get some medicine. Go, go get help from doctors. Don't go straight for the medicine. Go to a doctor first. Um, I think that was a good point of application, but application was my weakest point in this sense. I need to do a better job helping you understand, okay, you're a disaster, now what? Well, recognize that God is not like you, God is perfect, and you need to surrender your life to God to in order that He changes your heart and that He can get rid of the disaster you are because you fundamentally can't because it's fundamentally a part of you. So go to a doctor, turn to God so that He can fix your disaster. I don't know if that's good enough application. I don't know. I um, That needs to be stronger, I think. So that is my breakdown of this sermon. Um, like I said uh, in previous breakdowns, I am looking forward to getting better at these things. I want to help you understand how to write great sermons. And this rubric that I'm going through now, truth, the greater truth, the gospel truth, having a strong theme, having a theological, explaining theological doctrines, and having strong application will help your sermons get that much better. So if you're taking anything away from this, you know, make sure your sermon has to have application, make sure you're explaining theological doctrines really well, and, and, and have that theme, that through line of truth, the greater truth, the greatest gospel truth uh, in there because then you have one thing that you are teaching your listeners. So that's, that's all I have for you today. Um, I love you all. You guys are awesome. Thank you for listening once again to an NCP conversation. I've been your host, William Kahn. I'll talk to you in a couple of days. May God bless you now and forever. I'll see you guys later.